Hello, you're listening to Five Years Time, the podcast. I'm Darcy. And I'm Harry. levels mercury is no longer in retrograde thank god i'm done with feeling tired and it's a new month it's the first of march pinch punch first head of the month great new energy you've got there babe (laughs) (laughs) no in all honesty i'm really looking forward to the sun being out more the days being longer summer is coming it is it's not too far away and the golf club's being open of course there it is yeah there it is (laughs) And maybe we'll be able to do our interviews in person. Yes, definitely. Today's guest is our youngest so far, but from what we already know about her, we're sure she is going to have a really interesting story to share with us. We came across our guest today on social media, which shows that there are many positives, social media, networking. And she recently created this new account documenting her very busy life as she has lots of different things going on to start with she is a mum of one she is a medical student she owns a business with her husband and now she's got this new social media account that seems to be doing really well and I forgot to mention she's only 23. So today's guest is Ellie Tui aka Medic Mama on Instagram. Hello. Hello. Hi how are you yeah good I actually feel really nervous so um, yeah this is the first time that I've ever done anything like this so I'm really sorry if I sound really nervous uh don't worry you'll be fine it's just a chat really let's start with so you are obviously a medical student at the moment and your journey has led to you also having given birth to your child whilst you're studying. So yeah, I always sort of break it up into like almost three jobs that I have. So um, first one being a mum to my daughter, Lila, who, yeah, she's just over a year now. And then my second job as almost like a medical student. And then the third job is um, sort of running the business with my husband in the aesthetics side of things. Um, so yeah, sort of three, three jobs at one time. <laughs> So with what you call your three jobs, with your first job being a medical student, is that something that you always knew you wanted to do? Back when you were a child, was it your dream to be a doctor or in the medical industry? Has has that always been your dream? Yeah, to be honest, it sounds really cliche. Um, They almost like always tell you to not say this at medical school interviews of like, oh, it's been my passion ever since I was little. But it honestly really was for me. So um, I think from a young age, I was always the one that had my family uh, in my sort of fake GP practice and (laughs) they were all bandaged up. And yeah, my poor nan, she had about 50 different crash calls and I was both the, you know, nurse and the doctor. So yeah, it was something that I wanted to do from, from really young. I think probably... Yeah, my mum being a nurse as well, that really sort of inspired me and influenced um, that love of sort of all that healthcare related stuff from quite a young age as well. When I've never really looked into becoming a nurse or a doctor. So at what age do you have to start taking that, you know, really seriously and getting the grades and looking at what schools you're going to go to? When does that serious, you know, side really kick in? 
I think probably quite early on, um, if you wanted to do it, I would say around 14 is probably the age that things start almost kicking into into place. I think you almost know that you need to get A's and A stars at GCSE level, for example. So really, that's almost the focus from quite early on is kind of like, let me get the grades and also uh, the experience. So one thing that the medical schools really look for is people that have had a lot of work experience. So even it sounds silly but from the age of sort of like 14 15 I was trying to find sort of voluntary sort of pathways into it so like I fed some elderly patients on a stroke ward and that was sort of the start of it and uh, yeah from then on sort of even more than that you've got to do like the extracurricular stuff they want you to be sort of very well-rounded which is a bit impossible when you're trying to get the grades do the voluntary work so yeah things like I don't know, playing an instrument or in getting involved in sport. That's another thing that you're sort of doing from really early on. And then uh, on top of that, you've got sort of the medical school interviews that are really tough. And then um, you have to take an entrance exam as well. So yeah, it's, there's a lot of things that you have to do to be able to get to the sort of stage of studying in the first place. Yeah, sounds like it. Were you always quite academic? Did that side of things always come quite easy to you? Um, to be honest, no. So in the first year of secondary school, I actually really struggled and we did sort of an entrance, not an entrance test, but like a starting year seven test then, um, which predicted your GCSE grades somehow. And I think then I was predicted all D's and C's and I was actually really upset about it. So I was like, no, I want to study medicine. And um, so I think it was something that I had to work quite hard for in terms of studying. Um, it didn't just come supernaturally like it does for some people. So you said your mum is a nurse. Are you quite a medical family? And do you feel like that helped your progress? To be honest, no one in my family had gone down the route of medicine. So although my mum's a nurse, the pathways are like very different to getting into medicine and into nursing. So yeah, no, no one had really done that before. And also I think I was in a bit of a position where no one really knew how to help me to get in almost. So like a lot of families um, who have parents as doctors or a relative that's a doctor, it's so helpful because you can sort of ask them and they can point you in the right direction. Whereas for me, no one really knew. I think we were all sort of learning together and I'd come home and say, okay, mom, this is what I need to do next. And she'd just be on board and try and help as much as she could. But no, I, none of my family were very, um, no one was that academic really. So yeah, it was kind of a whole new thing. <laughs> so you go to King's College London, is that right? Yeah, that's right. What led you there? What is the medical department there particularly brilliant or what led you to go there? To be honest, I actually want to go to Bristol University, first of all. And I had my heart set on it and I was, that was it. Bristol was the one. And then I got interviewed at Bristol and I also got interviewed at King's. And my granddad just had this thing where he was like, you know, you have to go to King's. Like, come on, King's is so well-renowned. Um what's there in Bristol and I think looking back on it now he probably just wanted me to not be so far away <laughs> but I yeah I just had it in me where I was like okay he really likes the idea of Kings and maybe he's right and so I actually went down the route of going to Kings over uh, Bristol and I think also I'd although I'd been traveling a lot and I was you know quite happy to be away from home it suddenly dawned on me that you know for five or six years potentially I was going to be away from home so being in London almost felt a bit easier because it was only like 40 minutes away if I needed to go home so yeah. Do you think that that made because I was going to ask you if you had any kind of advice for people trying to choose a uni at the moment but do you think that that kind of made your decision for you the the distance from home? 
Yeah, I just want to, so many people have asked me, you know, what's the best you need to go to? And I think all of the universities, um, they have to be quite standardized for medicine anyway. So although they have differences in terms of maybe how they teach things, overall, really, at the end of the day, everyone's going to come out being a doctor, hopefully. So they need to have it, you know, quite standardized. So I think, yeah, it goes on sort of preference of the city and whether that's far away from family, maybe that's what people want. I don't know. Um, or closer. Yeah. So I think, yeah, definitely for me, I'm super close to my mum. So I think the thought of being far away from her was probably a bit of a scary one at the time. What was it that, I mean, I know that your mum's a nurse, but was there something that happened or something that you watched or, you know, what was it that made you want to be a doctor? Funnily enough, the moment it kind of all clicked was, so I used to love watching Holby City. There's a main character, Jack Naylor, who is this sort of fiery redhead who I used to just think was like absolutely amazing. And uh, I remember sitting and watching with my mum and saying to her, so how do I become Jack Naylor? And um, my mum said, well, you know, she studied medicine to be a doctor and it's really hard, but, you know, you'd be amazing at it. Like, why don't you give it a go? And I think just her saying it and her believing that I could do it made me think, all right, like, why not? And back then, I think I had a bit more confidence. I was a lot younger and I had less sort of anxieties about whether I could or couldn't do things. And um, so, yeah, I kind of then started looking into it. And that was really the moment where I thought, yeah, I really like this. And then I think going on from that, doing the work experience and feeding the patients on the stroke ward. And I also spent a bit of time in Tanzania in the hospital there. And um, I just, I loved it. I think instead of it putting me off, even though they were quite scary experiences many of the times, it actually made me want to do it more. So that was kind of, yeah, how it all started, I guess. Yeah, I suppose that just drives your passion to help people when you're seeing people in such need that you're able to give them, you know, a little glimmer of hope or happiness for a moment. That must just be such a rewarding experience. Yeah, I think definitely, especially in uh, Tanzania, because, you know, the health and safety there is much less than it is here. You're able to be a bit more hands on and you're able to get involved in things that you would never be able to get involved in here. And I think that for me was probably one of the best experiences to feel like I really knew what it was like to be a doctor. And yeah, I definitely felt it was the most rewarding. You mentioned about traveling. So did you always know that you were going to go to university? Did you go to traveling just before university? Yeah, so I, I'm denied about taking a gap year, but I think because I felt like I'd worked so hard in the process of trying to get in, I almost just, once I found I got in, I was so excited, I just wanted to go for it. So I didn't take a gap year. So what I did do was at the age of 18, in the sort of summer holiday period before starting uni, um, I went integrating with my friends. So yeah, we just traveled around Europe and um, yeah, that's actually where I met my husband. So it was worth a trip. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. And so your husband, is is he a trainee GP? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So he's in his uh, last stage of um, training to be a GP now. So um, I think in about six months time, he'll be a fully fledged GP. Oh, wow. wow. So that must be quite nice as well to have someone that you go home to every night and is in a very similar field to you. You can go to for advice or, you know, a bit of help if you need it. I'm, I'm always asking Harry for <laughs> help with something or another. Do you find that quite helpful? Yeah, I think to be honest, he's completely like polar opposite to me in many respects. Like he is the most chilled out person ever. So whereas I am such a stressy head, worry about everything, he is just super chilled, like takes everything in his stride. And so 
I'm often going to him sort of panicking about exams or worrying I'm not doing a good job as a mum. And he's always like, yeah, he's just so reassuring and he's just there to sort of hold it all together for us, I suppose. <laughs> that sounds very familiar. Apart, yeah. from, apart from the mum bit. <laughs> yeah. Harry is very calm and collected. And I, I went to drama school, so I'm not allowed to be calm and collected, you see. No. <laughs> Yeah, that's not that's not allowed. <laughs> um, no, I'm joking. I am quite calm, really. <laughs> Back to kind of your your uni experience. So, would you mind telling us a bit about starting uni? You know, it must be quite daunting starting a medical degree. Like, there must be a lot of work involved, and on top of that, you have to meet new people. I presume you moved out of home. Like, how did you find all of these changes? So, I came from quite an underperforming college. So, I always had this thing where it was actually almost seemed a bit more difficult for me to get into medicine in the first place. And I always had that in the back of my mind when I started that everyone that was going to be studying medicine would come from a private school and they would have, I don't know, this inside knowledge of what it's like to be a medical student and know like, you know, there was this rumor going around that they got taught like the first month's content whilst they were still at school. And so I had that in the back of my mind. And I think that made me quite anxious when I first started, but I was really lucky. So once I'd moved into halls, a lot of my flatmates were also medics and a lot of them did go to private schools and they were like completely the opposite to what I'd almost made out in my head. And they were all so lovely. And so they're actually still my best friends now. So I think, yeah, it was tough almost going in with that mindset, but yeah, I was almost pleasantly surprised, I guess. And then I think probably one of the hardest parts was just adapting to the workload, which just seemed to be never ending amounts of lectures. And um, we also do dissections in medical school uh, in the first two years. So um, at King's especially, they're kind of known for the fact that they have um, sort of their cadavers. Um, so people that when they die, they give their bodies to medical research and you sort of do dissection on them, which sounds really awful I'm going a bit crazy um, over it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah sorry. I was I was thinking when you said dissections I can feel like Darcy's anxiety whenever Darcy's a bit of bit of blood anxiety's through the room oh no really <laughs> no not anxiety I'm just I'm quite sorry, a maybe I should, must yeah. mention it <laughs> no no, no it sounds like, although why me too <laughs> what do you mean by by the dissection like I know what dissection is but what, what do you have to practice on and surely that's that can be obviously a bit of a hurdle to overcome with being a medical. Yeah, so definitely. I think, um, so what happens is at the start of the year, they have, I think it's about 60 um, cadavers. So 60 bodies that have given their bodies for medical research. Um, and you are put into a group and you're assigned to a particular body or a particular cadaver. And you sort of work through systems. So you might start off with sort of looking at the abdominal system and you start on the tummy and you get a chance to sort of, sorry Darcy <laughs> but sort of dissect the tummy out and have a look at sort of all the organs inside and you can talk about any sort of diseases that person might have had um, and then you sort of work through so you might then go up to the head and have a look at that and then you know look at the limbs and yeah so it's a really good way of being able to get stuck in yeah hands in, hands on very hands on <laughs> that must be a, such a strange experience for the first time yeah, I think the first time, definitely. I mean, talking about fainting, uh, funnily enough, I don't think people believe that people that want to study medicine or nursing or go into healthcare can be the sort of people that faint at the sight of blood or like needles and stuff. But that was me. I was the one that was kind of trying to go you know, do some car phrases in the dissecting room just so I didn't faint. So yeah, it was pretty full on. I think that was the first time I'd ever seen a dead body. So yeah, to have sort of 60 of them in a room was a bit of a scary, scary thing. <laughs> 
So you are in your first year of uni, you know, you're learning to cope with all these new people, things, dead bodies. Um, then, So you and your now husband, where are you at this point? And I mean, some people would say, wow, medical school, that is such a load to carry. Are you crazy to get married and have a baby? But obviously that's something that you're really passionate about. You're so happy you've done it. So what's kind of led you to where you are now? What From that first year, how has that journey kind of happened for you? So to be honest, I think even I thought I was mad, <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, I went with it anyway. And um, I'm so glad I did. Yeah. So as I say, we met whilst I was traveling, he was traveling and that was just before I'd started uni actually. And he had just started what's called your F1 year. So your foundation year as a junior doctor. So he just graduated and he'd spent, you know, a bit of time in the hospital at this point um, as a doctor. And uh, yeah, we sort of, we just made it work. I don't know. We just, we just kept seeing each other. And then eventually before we knew it, it was kind of, yeah, we knew that probably both of us were in a similar position of wanting to get married and have a family and to not leave it too late. And a lot of people say to me, oh my goodness, leave it too late. You guys could have waited another 10 years and it was still would have been fine. But I think we both just had this thing of wanting to do it within, you know, a few years. So uh, yeah, that's almost what happened. Uh, he proposed, I was in my third year then. And yeah, I think the rest is always history. We then just went on to get married and have Lila. So yeah, it's, it's been amazing. And what did the people around you, like, did they have opinions on on how fast you kind of decided to, you know, get things going? Yeah, to be honest, I think, so by the time um, he proposed, it was about three years. So I think people weren't surprised that he had proposed necessarily. But I think definitely when people found out that I was planning on getting pregnant, they were really like, what is going on here? <laughs> um, I think before I'd actually decided that I was definitely going to start trying to get pregnant, people did actually try and put me off. So, you know, people that I would say who are like my best friends, who are really close to both of us, actually, even they were a bit unsure, I think, because they knew how much medicine meant to me. They were like, Ellie, are you sure about this? You know, this could go horribly wrong. But I think, yeah, it's probably not in my nature. I think once I've decided something, even if I'm asking for a bit of advice, I kind of know deep down that <laughs> I really want it and I'm, I'll just go for it anyway. <laughs> I think people would, you know, help us as much as they can if we ever needed it. So, yeah, we're really lucky in that respect. Oh, that's really nice to hear. Obviously, you had to take was it a whole year out um, to spend time with with Lila? Yeah, so I think I got the choice of either taking two weeks out or taking the academic year off. And I just knew that I definitely wanted a lot of time. But I mean, having gone through it now, there's no way that I could have gone back after two weeks. That just wouldn't have happened. And how did you find going back after that year? I can imagine it must have been hard leaving Lila. I had two worries, like major worries. One of them was oh no, I've been with my daughter for, it was just over a year actually. And I, you know, I've, I've known no different, you know, it's just been us two and, you know, my husband's been at work. And I think that bond that you have with your baby after that year, you feel so close to them that I was like, I can't do it. Like, you know, I'm going to miss her too much. Um, and the thought of someone else looking after her just made me think like, oh, no one else is going to be able to do this. Like no one knows how to get her off to sleep. And, you know, no one knows that she likes me to sing Twinkle Twinkle before this. And, you know, all those things you worry about. And then the other big worry I had was, I guess, you know, how am I going to fit back into uni life? Because now I'm going to almost stick out like a sore thumb because all of my friends will have just transitioned back into it like normal. And I'm going to be worrying about pickups and, you know, I don't know whether my baby's teething or, you know, those sort of things. 
So I think, yeah, it was quite hard at first, but then having been in the position now and, and gotten over that first hurdle of getting back in, it was actually much smoother than I thought. So everyone again was really supportive. Lila went to an amazing childminder who she absolutely adores. There was no worries about her missing me. I think she probably misses the childminder more <laughs> um, when she's with me. But um, yeah, I think it has actually been a lot smoother than I ever thought. And a lot of people would probably think that the whole process of being a medical student and having a baby would just be, you know, a crazy workload. But is it as bad as what people would make out or have you dealt with it better than you thought you would? I think, first of all, having my husband, who's so supportive, has made it possible because I think otherwise it just, yeah, it probably would be a lot to handle. But I also think that actually the way I looked at it before and the way I probably still see it now is that, being a medical student or being a doctor, the whole journey of medicine from sort of start to finish, there's no real right time to have a baby. There's always an exam. There's always a placement or another stage in your career. So I just kind of looked at the timeline and thought, when would I think is the best time? And there really wasn't one. So I think, yeah, it's it might sound crazy, but I think it would be actually really hard at whichever stage. And for people that are in a kind of similar situation to you and maybe are in medical school or a completely different career, you know, would you have any tips for people that are kind of thinking about having children and don't know, you know, whether they will be able to manage their workload or whether that's going to have an effect on their child? Is there anything that, you know, words of wisdom that you could share? One thing my mum used to say to me, which was, you know, when I was younger, was that everything will work out fine in the end. When I was younger, I used to think, what does she know? Like, it's not going to work out fine. And I used to really catastrophize things. And actually now, you know, having been in the position of being a mom myself, I, I honestly hold that to be really true. And even in the times where I thought this will never end, you know, I've not slept for, you know, four nights because Lila's teething or, you know, I've got an exam coming up and it's just really rubbish timing. Somehow you just kind of make it work. And um, I don't know whether it's just like, becoming a parent gives you these like special powers I don't know <laughs> but um, I think for anyone that's sort of considering starting a family and worrying about whether they can make it work I think you just manage I think it just happens and I think as long as you can you've just got the belief that it will be fine I really do think it honestly will be fine. And, and talking about Lila obviously it wasn't quite the normal birth was it was she 10 weeks early? Yeah, 10 weeks. So um, that was the other thing. So yeah, definitely was not expecting that. That must have been so scary. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, again, this is almost the thing of like everything working out fine. I think a lot of the time you think you can plan for things. And I am a massive planner. You know, I, I don't like surprises. I like to be, you know, really sort of like knowing what's happening. I think <laughs> and, we're very um, similar, Ellie, you and I. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that vibe too. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I kind of, I've been told this was a really low risk pregnancy. So, you know, expect everything to go very much to plan. And I was, I was like, yeah, I like the sound of that. That's all good. And then, yeah, things started just going almost downhill very quickly. Yeah. So 10 weeks before she was due, I ended up having an emergency C-section and honestly at that time thought there is no way that this baby will survive. You know, I'd seen premature babies before, but I just never that early you know I'd seen them maybe a week or or so early but not this early and I think well one again it made me so grateful to the NHS and to the nurses and doctors that um, sort of looked after us both and probably made me want to do you know medicine and become a doctor even more so but two I was just amazed that these babies that are born so early 
do so well like there are so many um, babies in the sort of intensive care out there even now who yeah are fighting to survive but honestly if anyone's listening to this and has a premature baby um, they'll know that it's an amazing thing they do there I think I've never really been on the other side of it as you know almost being a patient so I think now when I see like especially pregnant women or women that have just given birth I think oh I can relate to you so much more so um yeah Oh, that was lovely. And is Lila completely fine now? She progressed well. Yeah, she's done amazingly. I think we've been really lucky. So when she was born, she was 955 grams, which is around two pounds. Oh my so gosh. yeah, I think compared to me, I think I was about seven pounds. So yeah, she was absolutely tiny. And I think we'd had it in our heads where, you know, potentially there could be a lot of complications along the way. And this was almost just the start of it. But she did really well. I think she spent about six weeks in hospital which at the time felt like a lifetime but um since sort of being discharged yeah she's she's reached all her milestones and she's just full of life so the other part of your life that we haven't really touched on is your clinic that you do you run that with your husband is that right yeah so um we i think it was about a year and a half to two years ago now we um started our own clinic up in one of the rooms in our house so um it was almost just a trial period at first of my husband going on a lot of these different courses um to learn how to do filler and botox and prp all sort of like beautifying things that doctors can do and at the beginning honestly thought okay we'll try this out it's probably going to be nothing and but we'll just see how it goes and yeah he just sort of got better and better and people kept coming back and wanting more so it was something that we then really invested in and um I created a website and now really he's the main man at the front doing most of the work I am literally the one that just kind of talks to the, the clients and you know emails back and forward and sort of runs the ship behind the closed doors I guess <laughs> how are you finding that are you enjoying it I suppose it's a brilliant source of income while you're both still training and obviously have a child to support yeah definitely I think well yeah as you say as a bit of income because I'm not earning it pretty much all falls on my husband which definitely with the business has really helped I mean not with COVID obviously unfortunately but I think everyone's in the same boat but yeah definitely it's been a really great experience again as you say kind of just learning from these small things that happen in life if someone told me oh you can create a website and you can you know manage your accounts with clients I would have said oh no I definitely couldn't do that but having done it I realize now that you can do these things and although I still don't know anything about business it's kind of possible in a weird way it blows my mind Ellie that you feel like someone who's quite self-deprecating like no I can't do that I still don't know much about business and yet at 23 which you are you've traveled you've got married you're going through medical school you've had a baby you've started a business I mean <laughs> you've done more than a lot of people do in a lifetime so it's, it blows my mind that you still now can say oh no I'm not very good at that <laughs> honestly I think that's like oh god that's just me all over I think I don't know over the years I've always wanted to be more confident and just that yeah I walk into a room I just feel like I know my shit and I'm there but actually I'm completely the opposite to that I mean I honestly just think it's all about you know faking it till you make it that's basically my motto just fingers crossed it all works out okay in the end <laughs> another thing that you can add to your list of achievements is you've just started up this amazing Instagram account which is obviously where we kind of found you 
it's all about your journey as a medical student and a mum and a business owner and you know everything that comes with those things what made you start it are you enjoying it are you connecting obviously we've met each other are you connecting with different people as well as my husband had been nagging at me for over a year so when I was pregnant with Lila he kept saying to me honestly like you should you know create a YouTube um, account or do Instagram thing on being a medical student and being pregnant and that's how it all started and I just laughed at him I was like there's no way I am going to ever be able to speak to a camera or take photos and upload them being like guys this is what I'm doing and you know I don't know giving advice that just is not something I felt I could do and then I went on a placement in uh, my in hospital now and um, I met there. He did um, a YouTube channel and he'd been doing amazingly. And uh, he said to me, honestly, Ali, like you need to just do this. People would love watching it. And actually there are so many people out there that are in a similar position, you know, not necessarily just in medicine, but across the board that would really love to hear what you have to say about it. And so it was in the back of my mind that maybe I should or shouldn't do it. And um took the plunge one day and was like okay damn it let's just do this if it goes badly wrong then hopefully I'll just have no followers and no one will know it went wrong (laughs) and if it goes well then great um so yeah and I think so far I am really enjoying it it's actually a lot more work I'm sure you guys will probably agree massively I I I'm constantly like, right, I've got to upload something. What am I going to upload? It takes so much work. It's constant, Creativity. Isn't it? Yeah, it really is a constant. Honestly, like, I know that it's on my mind because I'm even dreaming about it. Like, I'll wake up in the morning. I'm like, oh, I had a really great idea. Like, I can put this on there. Or, which is just mad because I don't think I even do that with other things in my life. So, um, yeah, definitely. It's a lot more work than what I initially thought. And it's a lot more nerve-wracking in the sense that you are kind of putting yourself out there. Um, and I do sometimes worry. I mean, so far, people have been really supportive and I've had lots of nice messages. But I'm sure my time will come where, you know, I get a bit of a horrible message coming through or, or something. So, yeah. No, see, now you're putting that yeah. negative energy out there. Take that back. <laughs> <laughs> I take it back, I take it back. <laughs> and weren't you asked to write a blog for Medico Lifestyle? Yeah, so that was the other thing. So again, um, obviously doing this podcast, that was something really new for me, then doing the Medico Lifestyle article. I think that for me felt really nice because they've got quite a big following. And um, I was almost like, why do they want me to write something? Like, that's weird. Did that just come out of the blue? Did they just contact you on social media? Yeah, they just said, you know, we'd love for you to write something about balancing life as a mum and a medical student. And they started a new website and did I want to do it? And I, I was sort of like, Again, at first, said to my husband, I just, I can't do that. I've never done that before. <laughs> and um, he was like, don't be silly. Of course you can do it. So I did it. I sent it across. And I think I was half expecting them to come back and just say, this is really not how you write a blog entry oh, and Ellie. you need to change it. <laughs> but um, they actually came back saying like, that's great. Thank you. And they just uploaded that version. And honestly, in my head, that was just a draft. That was not going to go anywhere. We read through it last night and we really enjoyed it. It was yeah. lovely. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> so we've realised that maybe you're, you're not the most confident person. Do you think that becoming a mum has improved that at all? That you've found this kind of new, if I can give birth to a child and raise her, that I, I can do anything? <laughs> 
yeah I had that actually walking down the aisle so I was so nervous to walk down the aisle when I got married and then after I did it although this sounds so silly I felt so accomplished I was like if I can walk down the aisle in front of all those guests yeah okay I said my vows really quietly but I still did it I did feel like that then I was like I can do anything now then having had Lila and I guess yeah her being so early it did put things in perspective a lot so even now I think oh I mean that wasn't so much harder than this and if I got through that then I can get through this but I still don't think no I don't think I've done I've not gained a ton of confidence I wouldn't say I'm not sure I ever will I think that's just me I don't know I actually found it really interesting reading one of your posts about when you were doing your interviews to get into medical school and how you you tried to put on the act of feeling confident and then you just you just told them the truth in the end I think that's one thing that I've realized now is that there are some things that you can fake it until you make it. But I think pretending you're confident when you're not, sometimes you just have to put your hands up and say, okay, guys, I'm really not confident. And I'm finding this really difficult. You know, I used to worry so much about blushing or, you know, I don't know, just seeming nervous. And then, yeah, on that interview day, when I just said to them, I'm really sorry, but I'm so nervous. I just really don't have this. I think it just worked in my favor. And I realized that there was no harm in just... I don't know, being honest about it. And everyone in that room was probably very aware that I was nervous anyways. I was just kind of (laughs) saying the obvious. To be honest, I think I'm just one of those people. I just have a nervous energy. I think I've always been quite positive in the sense that um, I can almost think big, like I want to do things, but then I almost need that push like of other people saying to me, you can do it. I think that's really inspiring though, because a lot of people you know, have these Instagram accounts that have lots of followers, you just, you would think that they've, they've always been confident and they've never had a problem. So people who, who like you, you said, you know, you've got big ideas. It shows that you can, if you just put yourself a little bit out of that comfort zone, you can, you know, you will get the rewards to it. And it just takes time to, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you asked me like last month, if, oh, would you come on this podcast? I would have just said, oh, I'd love to, but I just, I couldn't. (laughs) And it really does take that moment of just like, it's almost a leap of faith, just be like, okay, whatever happens, happens. I'm just going to go with it. Is there something you do to kind of calm your nerves? Like if you know you're doing something that stresses you out or if you've got an exam or coming on the podcast or something that makes you nervous, have you got a coping mechanism or a technique that you use to kind of, you know, have a chat with yourself and say, we can do this? (laughs) My husband actually said this to me, I think it was in my second year, maybe my first year of medicine, which was before an exam. He would always play Eye of the Tiger um, really <laughs> loudly in his headphones as he was walking to the exam hall. And it would just like give him a boost. And, you know, he just felt really confident before he went in. So I have tried that a few times. I have to say, I just end up singing the <laughs> lyrics and yeah, I probably don't get much of a release apart from having fun. But um, no, I'm really rubbish. I have to say, I think I just rely on hopefully being prepared by having you know revised as much as I can or thought about you know say the podcast as much as I can I just hope that it will be okay I guess is there something you do to reward yourself if you've done something it could be really small or you've got a great grade in an exam is there something that you like to do to reward yourself yeah chocolate (laughs) (laughs) literally honestly the first thing I did I put on a bit of Jackson 5 after my exam and I danced around the kitchen and yeah ate a big bag of Maltesers <laughs> as sad as that sounds I did nothing that crazy good um but yeah I think especially at the moment with COVID and lockdown you kind of have to yeah get the small wins 
Is there a particular song that, that either you kind of go to motivate yourself or has a special place in your heart? It's a song that you play in a happy moment or in a sad moment, a song that means something to you. Ooh, there's so many. It's funny as I absolutely love music. So I would probably say maybe my first dance, our first dance at our wedding, which is the Elvis Presley Can't Help Falling in Love. I think that's probably got quite a lot of meaning (laughs) behind it. And um, I think that's probably one that we both go to. That's like, I'd say that's my favourite one. Oh, that's so lovely. (laughs) Is there a piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Ooh, okay. So I think the being confident side of things that we're speaking about earlier kind of yeah just accepting that you don't have to be something that you're not so if you're not the most confident person not to worry and just to be you and just to you know this whole saying of there's only one of you like you're the original so just do you and just do it well I spent so long wishing I was more confident or hoping that one day I just get this boost of like oh I don't care anymore and you know I'm not anxious about things I think if I could have just told myself that, yeah, one, it was going to be okay. And I didn't have to be this confident version of myself. I just had to be me. It would have saved me a lot of worry. (laughs) I think I definitely worried and cared a lot more about that. I mean, to be honest, what am I talking about? I still probably need this advice now, but (laughs) I think I'm getting better, I think. (laughs) And obviously at the moment, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on at the moment, obviously with Lila and, and the business where do you see yourself in five years from now? Um, so I hope that by then I will be a doctor. So I've got about a year left now. So until I graduate, touch wood. <laughs> and I guess hopefully in five years, I will have had another baby. I think my husband's going to listen to this and be like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so um, those two are sort of the first things I can think of. And I guess then just carrying on with things. So maybe if the Medic Mama Instagram page kind of, takes off that would be nice and the business side of things yeah just kind of going in that direction what area of medicine are you hoping to go into I think at the moment it's like ever-changing so sometimes I am completely set on doing pediatrics especially since having Lila and then other times it's A&E or you know being a GP every time I go into the hospital and work in a different department I seem to love that sort of particular one I just know that definitely not into surgery that's not my thing (laughs) No, no dissecting or anything like that. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so you have another year until you graduate and then do you have to go on and do a, like a, a specialist course? Yeah, so you graduate and then you have two years as what we call a foundation doctor. So it's an F1 and an F2. So your first year is F1 and your second year is an F2. And in that time, you are working as a doctor across all different specialties and you almost just get you know, a good overall knowledge of each different thing. And then at the end of those two years, you can choose to specialize. So, you know, whether it being you were on a placement in A&E and then you decide you really want to go down the route of A&E, after those two years, you can specialize and it can take anywhere between sort of five and seven years to become a consultant after that. So yeah, it's a long, long old road. Yeah, it's a long process. It is. Wow. That's real dedication. Well, thank you so much, Ed. It's been so nice chatting to you. Oh no, thank you so much. Honestly, you guys are amazing and making me feel so much more relaxed than I ever thought I would feel on a podcast. So thank you. Oh, that was great. I feel like I'm making loads of new friends doing this podcast. Yeah, you two are like two little peas in a pod, aren't you? (laughs) It's amazing what she's achieved at such a young age. I mean, she's a year younger than me and, you know, she's married. 
she has a child, she has a business, and she's a medical medical student. <laughs> I know she is really impressive, but um, the point of having Ellie on the podcast wasn't obviously to make us or anyone else feel under pressure. It was just to show that everyone does things at different speeds and has different goals and timelines and just to show a unique story that you can achieve whatever you put your mind to, even if you don't feel very confident. Like, you know, Ellie doesn't have very much confidence in herself. No, not at all. But Ellie's really proven today that she's willing to step out of her comfort zone to broaden her horizons. And maybe there'll be people today that take, I don't know, a bit of motivation from that. And the next time they feel scared to do something, they'll just, you know, push themselves to go for it. And it might really pay off. Thank you, Ellie. It was lovely getting to know you. And it would be great to meet you in person when that is not illegal. (laughs) It's National Careers Week this week. So keep your eyes peeled on our Instagram as we will be sharing lots of helpful resources. If you enjoyed the episode, please give it a review and share it with your friends. Thank you very much for listening. Happy Monday. Happy Monday.